Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Welcome back to The Business of You as we continue learning about George Howell and his fascinating story of helping Starbucks expand to the East Coast. As I had mentioned in last week's episode, George is really a pioneer in the coffee industry. He is very much into gourmet coffees and sourcing some of the best coffees in the world. So after you listen to today's episode, I highly recommend you check out their website, georgehowell.com, and invest in an incredible coffee. Enjoy today's episode of The Business of You. And didn't you invent, if I remember Here we correctly. go, Frappuccino. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. No, um, no, that's a story that spread all over the place. Okay. This is where truth telling comes in, right? <laughs> I don't want to ever take, uh, you know, take credit, credit for something yes. that I didn't do, right? Um, originally, the, the concept was iced cappuccino. That's mm-hmm. kind of formulaic word that went mm-hmm. around and this um, this guy uh, who worked at SCAA, especially Coffee Association, Ted Lingle, was writing stuff about it earlier, like in the early 80s, really, sometime around 84, 85. And I took note of that. He was talking about how it was an opportunity to make uh, iced cappuccino uh, in granita machines. Mm. Right. That's mm-hmm. what it was. And uh, I took note of that. But uh, and really wanted to do it, but I didn't have a model yet. Uh, later, when Howard Schultz declared Starbucks was going to conquer the United States, yes, I went to Seattle to see what he was all about and what changes he had made to 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 the Starbucks name, right? And yeah. The face. Um, and a friend of mine, I, I have to remember his name, but in any case, he had a separate, he had his own cafe and he offered to drive me around and take me to different cafes, including Starbucks's. Uh, and, uh, we, we went to this espresso cafe, not Starbucks, uh, and they were serving iced cappuccino in a granita machine. Mm, okay. All it did was take me one taste and I went. We got to sell this. It's, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, not that I believe in this stuff, but this is something that's been very popular. Right. And in order for me to keep my passion of getting great coffee, I need to pay for it. Right. right? That's True. how we do that. Mm. So, uh, so we got the formula. And this friend of mine who had his cafe in Seattle also was setting up the same thing, a nice cappuccino created a machine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the formula was simple. It was sugar, 
strong mm-hmm. coffee, black coffee, and milk. That's it. Those mm-hmm. three ingredients. Uh, and um, so I came back. I spoke to my who uh, Andrew Frank, who was who went from being an employee at Newton Center to becoming the manager of that cafe, super successful, mm-hmm. being my marketing person. Okay. Right. And I handed it to him, the formula and so on. And I said, get this right, you know, and, and he, he took it as his, his basic work. And he came back and he said, we shouldn't call it ice cappuccino. Let's call it frappuccino. Ah, okay. Right. And boy, was he right. Yeah. <laughs> I so mean, we all said, name. oh, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the invention was the name. Right, right. <laughs> Period. Right. And yeah. so we, we, you know, first year we really marketed it, you know, like uh, get pay for one, get one for free and so right. on, that kind of thing. And it took off and we put it in all our cafes and it was it made our summers go from being the least uh, the least income producing yeah. to equal to anything, any other quarter. Yeah, I bet. Overnight. I bet. It was incredible. Amazing. So, then when Starbucks bought Frappuccino, yeah, they actually had a very different formula. Oh. Uh, and I guess two guys in Los Angeles who always feel that I'm stealing their show, which I'm not. Here I am yeah. telling you this. Right. But, uh, they had separately developed uh, use uh, a, their own drink. Right. They had no name for which was using cocoa as well as coffee. Mm. And it was, you know, powdered coffee. I mean, this was a quick drink, but it was uh, it was done in a blender, right? Which allowed them to change the flavors and do the pumpkin spice uh, label and all okay. the rest of it. But, and also gave the impression of being handmade. Right, right. Uh, of course, we won't talk about the fact that <laughs> this wasn't brewed coffee on the spot, right? Right. Uh, but in any case, so that was what they did. And they called that drink Frappuccino. Okay. Right. So so we now sell uh, that co- that drink, the, the Frappuccino we used to sell, and uh-huh. we sell it in our cafes. It's called The Original. Oh, cute. Right? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you're around the Boston area and you want to yes. know what it tasted like originally, <laughs> order the frappuccino, the, uh, the original. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So, so Howard Schultz and team make you this offer you can't refuse, right? Um, they did. They did agree to, as I said, two-thirds of yeah. the cafes would right. remain open for at least two years. Right. Um, and, uh, the other thing I specified was that I would be the buyer of the two coffees that I had really realized were extraordinary. And that set me on the path to single farm, single origin coffee. Okay. Opened okay. my eyes. And that was in 1988 only. Huh. Right. But I went to Kenya and Costa Rica and discovered how extraordinary and how difficult it was to make great quality. Right. Mm. And I was on that train. And so. Um, and I got them to agree that as long as the coffee connection existed, I was its buyer and only buyer for all the Kenyans and all the Costa Rica. And why was it so important for you to maintain the brand for two, you know, for two years? What, you know, how I did you come up with that number? I didn't okay. want the connection to go away. Right. Right. 
So I hoped that they would keep this. I mean, again, this is lack of business knowledge. Today, right. I know better. Well, right? so I really thought they might do that. Would you have sold? You know, like if, no. if you, you would. So looking back upon your life, you wouldn't have sold. This was a condition. Right. Right. right? Those yeah. Two things, right. Yeah. It was a condition. Um, I wanted that. I wanted it to continue. But I got to tell you, when they after two years, when they changed over to Starbucks, I was thrilled. Really? Why? Yeah. Because it wasn't it wasn't our product anymore. Right. So you they weren't yeah, roasting the way we roasted. I right. mean, they tried to do lighter roast and stuff, but it wasn't. That's not their thing. Right. Right. And they very logically moved it over to being Starbucks, and I was relieved because it really that's they were serving was, a kind of new version of lighter roast. Right. It was blonde coffee before it it existed. Right. Right. For, for them. Um, but aesthetically, it wasn't equal. Yeah. So how were you feeling at this point? I mean, I know you were happy that they changed the name, but now you've got, I mean, I'm making the assumption you probably could have retired, right? Um, financially based uh, on that deal. For two years, approximately, I did. I was a consultant for two years to start. Okay. Um, you know, but I, it took very little time to do that. Yeah. Uh, and then... Um, but I never fully disconnected from the coffee world. Right. And I was invited to, to be part of the international coffee relations mm-hmm. um, uh, group at Specialty Coffee Association. Okay. Uh, and so I joined that. And that was, um, there were like, I think we were about 20 people or something like that. Uh, 10 roaster importers in the states and uh 10 approximately uh members from producing countries okay somebody from kenya colombia brazil and so on on that board as well and we met four times a year talking about issues relationships uh quality in those countries what could be done to help you know uh promote those countries etc etc all of these issues and the um, the person representing uh, Brazil, Marcelo Vieira, approached me and said, look, there's this project that the UN has approached me on, mm-hmm. uh, United Nations, the ITC, International Trade Commission, Commission. Or trade mm-hmm. something. Um, and uh, they were managing uh, a project that was uh, that they had agreed to do with the National Coffee Association okay. uh, in London. Yeah. Right? And this was called the Gourmet Project. And there were five countries involved. Um, Brazil, I believe, uh, three in Africa and uh, Papua New Guinea. OK. Uh, and um, he wanted me to be the um, the quality consultant for Brazil specifically. And it was a really interesting challenge, mm-hmm. and, uh, learning experience, too. Um, and so I agreed to that. Brazil at that time really was the stepchild of specialty. Mm, okay. No one looked, no one in the specialty industry really looked at Brazil as being part of specialty. Right. It was commercial coffee, period. That's what it was. Um, so that was an interesting challenge right there. And I, you know, so I would go several times a year and spend two, three weeks in Brazil um, 
following Marcelo's uh, itinerary of visiting farms. And you're talking, you know, I mean, Brazil's the size of the States. Right, uh, right. Just about. And uh, so you could travel a thousand miles through coffee country, literally, huh. right? So you're flying to some places, others, multiple fairs, like you have agricultural fairs, right? Right. Different coffee brands. So we would go to those and uh, I would be lecturing with a PowerPoint that was turned into uh, Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And while I didn't speak it, I could read it very easily because I know Spanish. Right. Um, and he would translate my speak my speech yeah uh, and as i talked and you know i would talk about specialty coffee uh and its growth in the united states that was really very fast at that time yeah. what it was looking for quality and so on what they needed to do to change it um and i was also visiting one farm after another right so i created a um with marcelo agreeing we created this uh model farms where we we had uh, various farm owners set up little s- smaller farms like mm-hmm. 10 hectares which okay. would be about 20 acres that kind mm-hmm. of thing, very mm-hmm. tiny for brazil yeah. and start from scratch and sell the coffee natural and each year add an improvement a quality improvement in their production so that would be an extra cost an investment that had to be right. Uh, borrowed right yeah uh, and uh, and we would see, was it profitable, more profitable at each level? Because I wanted to make the proof that the higher the quality, the more profitable you could make. Right. That farm, right. Yeah. So that really started. It was very exciting. After two years, um, the uh, we were notified that this program was coming to an end. Mm. And please write up your reports. And I have this allergy towards academic reports that quickly gather dust and don't do a damn thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I really went nuts trying to think about how can we actually affect what's going on in Brazil and really bring uh, farmers uh, more money and because they're doing higher quality. How can we right. do that? And I came up with um, with having an international competition. Ah, okay. I uh, called up Marcelo, told him he loved the idea instantaneously. Yeah. Right? So with my reputation, you know, I'd run awards from SCA and so on for being the super quality guy right. and all the rest of it. I was able to invite people from Japan, uh, Europe, and so on. Uh, to come to Brazil and spend an entire week there on their own dime. Okay. Because uh, Brazil could not, you know, was not going to pay for that. Right? Sure. Um, to do that. That, uh, so they came uh, and uh, we had prepared for their arrival by, by communicating to farmers that if they won this competition and they were part of that winning circle, they would get a minimum of 10 cents over the market price that Brazil was selling for. Mm. That's all it took, right? Um, and that was enough. So from getting, before I had asked for samples and I only got mm. a, a handful because no one was interested. 
being told that you Americans all tell the same story. You talk a great game of quality and then you nickel and dime us to keep. Sure. Yeah. And we're not interested. Right. Right. So by promising 10 cents. Yeah. You incentivize them. Right. Right. So we got 300 farms to participate. Amazing. 300 samples arrive. All, All from Brazil. All Brazil. Okay. Right. And so uh, this brilliant young man, uh, uh, Silvio Leite, uh, that Marcelo knows and brings into the picture, uh, really, really runs the entire operation in Brazil, right? In terms of how do you taste all these? How do you cup Mm. all these coffees and so on and select? And um, so they went, he got two other people and they cut through all 300 and we're analyzing the beans and so on and reduced it down to 150. Then I came over and Silvio and I cupped all 150 in a week. <laughs> right? um, so I really started getting learning what caffeination was all about. Yes, I bet. It's like wine drinking. You don't get entirely yeah. drunk, but you do get high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but in any case, uh, and he was brilliant. I mean, everything. What he did, I mean, the lucky thing was that while Brazil was looked down upon, they had the most professional crew in the world because they were industrial, because they were doing the kind of quantity they did. They knew how to organize in ways no other country Mm -hmm. knew Mm -hmm. how to organize. Yeah. Um, And so we went through that. So then the International Committee comes in uh, with some big names to it. Pete's was there. Okay. Yeah. uh, Others. Uh, And um, and so on Monday, we started to cup through the about 30 winners of the national, what we later call the national uh, uh, competition. So now comes the international competition. Okay. Okay. Remaining coffees. And we cup them once on Monday uh, and then. The, the ones that make make it through by scoring a minimum of 80 points get to Tuesday and Wednesday and we cup them twice. Uh, and then we end up with 10 winners. Okay. Out of the, out of the 300. <laughs> right. And these are huge lots of 20, 30,000 pounds of coffee. Wow. Right. And so here we are sitting on this and what's freaking me out at that point is, okay, Hidetaka Hayashi from Japan really probably wants the number one prize winner. Right, right. But uh, so does Martin Diedrich from Diedrich Coffee in L.A. Yeah, yeah. Uh, want it too, right? How do we, how do, we do this up. and yeah. make all sides happy, right? right. How do I not alienate people? Because <clears throat> that's, competi- that's where the idea of an auction came up. An oh, interesting. interesting. <laughs> okay. So when I proposed that, everybody flipped. That was great. Well, and what a way to drive the price up even more, right? That was the issue. That's exactly the way to do it, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I yeah. was just, so besides the 10 cent markup that the farmer was promised when you went to auction, were they able to make we even more? it easily. But you gave so much of that back to the farmer, right? I mean. Oh, I, they get it. In other okay. words, they get it. Yeah. And, and I the no, whole you're point so was passionate. To profitable for them. Yeah. To bring them the money. So they were they were collecting. But interestingly enough, they started with these 30,000, 20,000 pound lots. Yeah. Yeah. 
they quickly learned that the smaller the lot, the more small specialty roasters could afford to buy it. Mm. Right. So by going down to a thousand pounds or I don't know, somewhere around a thousand, two thousand pounds or whatever, there was a whole lot more people who were ready to bid for that. I see. So the price took off. Of course, because there's less of it too, right? That's, Just supply that's and demand. Right. It's yeah. affordable and there's real excitement over it. So, yeah. so this was an incredible experience for me, right? Uh, I learned a ton. What had led me to the uh, coming up with the competition and then the auction was again, this doesn't come out of nothing, right. it comes from previous experiences. Uh, I had learned in 88, 89 that Kenya was selling all of its coffee through an auction, all of it. And mm. they were selling at substantially higher prices than any other coffee in the world. Now, that's also because their quality right. was the best in the world. End of story, right? I mean, what they went through to create that quality was extraordinary, right? But they were really selling for just about double the price of any other country. Yeah. Um, and it was by auction. So... In the last years of Coffee Connection, uh, I was put in touch with the the uh, main and major exporter of Kenya coffees, Dorman's Coffee, and he was sending me samples before the auction took place. And by that time, I had learned to really cup professionally, mm-hmm. and we were cupping the best ones and saying and calling him up just before the auction, saying we wanted we want this, this, and this. And the question would be then, well, how far are you willing to go? And I naively said, uh, sky's the limit. Point blank. Mm -hmm. I want that coffee, period. Right, right. So we always got the coffee we wanted uh, and paid the highest prices on that auction for several years. So I was experienced in that, had already gone through that thing. Right. On top of that, Dorman's also then suggested to me that they do a competition. Where? So, in the U.S.? In Kenya. Oh, in Kenya. Okay. Yeah. So it was just between me and Dorman. Sort of the I see. And Dorman's, and they would send, we were buying 12 different lots at that time. So we then tasted those lots at the end of the, the harvest year and so on. And picked first, second, and third place. Uh-huh. And they got prize money <clears throat> from Dorman's and Coffee Connection. Oh, wow. Right? That went... Uh, some of it went for uh, improving their infrastructure mm-hmm. and some of it went to the managers of the processing plants <laughs> because it was their craftsmanship that cleaned that coffee and produced sure. it. And if they didn't right. do that, you'd never win. You right. wouldn't have the quality you had. Right, right. So when I left Coffee Connection and sold it, those are two models right there. Right. That really, you know, would come... And then the third piece that led to that was David Griswold from Sustainable Harvest, a major coffee importer now, nowadays, right? Who, when I spoke to him in the beginning of, in the middle of Gourmet Project and said how disappointed I was by having sent samples across the U.S. to small roasters, to importers and all the rest of it, uh, I either got the response, yeah, your Brazil's better than, than the one I have, but it's not 25 cents better. Uh, but that mm-hmm. answer and, uh, or no answer at all because they were just too busy in the business of coffee right, right. to really try something different. 
And so he he said, come over to L.A., I, to San Francisco, and I will have 11, at least 11 roasters from the West right. Coast yeah. come and cup those Brazils with you. And my answer was, OK, but then I want them to bring each of them green, a sample of their green Brazil right now mm. and we'll blind cup everything. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. What a twist. Yeah. Yeah. And so and they we did that in Oakland and the three samples that I had brought with me won first, second and third place. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. this this group of roasters, very business oriented and always very serious, became children really excited over the drink. <laughs> that was revelation. Yes. Right. Yes. The walls came down and that didn't happen before. Right. Mm. So these things were all in the back of my mind and I didn't come up with saying, oh, well, now I know what I want to do. But when push came to shove and at the very end of this project where I'm facing the door closing, I lighted upon the competition. Right. Right. The auction. Right. There's such a. um a consistent path in what you do both around education, but also in kind of rising the, the bringing, bringing about the underdog, right? Like both in the yep. art world, you did that with the right. artists, the Whitchell artists, then you were doing it with the, or you still are, you know, doing it with the farmers, but not only did you educate your customers around great coffee, but you're educating the coffee world, Right. In the U.S. and around the world about great coffee, too. So, so fascinating. Absolutely key. Yeah. So I left Cup of Excellence after its second year, uh, third year, actually, uh, in the end of 2020. uh, Sorry. Yeah. 2002. Okay. uh, 2002. Right. Um, And then I went on to create the George Howell Coffee Company. Yeah. and uh, but made a big mistake and opened up a restaurant in the suburbs that was a cafe as well with partners that didn't work out. Okay, that was a big loss. So I ended up doing a lot of wholesale in the beginning, which was new to me. I see. Right. And bit by bit in the last uh, 10 years, we started to add cafes. And so we have three cafes now, but we are looking for other really iconic locations Mm-hmm. Or what I intend to have as an iconic cafe. Uh-huh. And right. are you looking for those throughout the U.S. or still just in no, the still in the Boston. greater Boston area? But certainly, okay. the idea is to go beyond that. Okay. And where are the three? But very that carefully. Right. Right. And in locations, I mean, like for instance, our main cafe is in downtown Crossing, downtown Boston. But it's on the edge where you have a 10,000 student, college student population right there. You have the theater right there. You do have the businesses and so on. And you also have tourism. Right. With Washington Street, which is pretty much now a pedestrian. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm looking for that. I'm looking for a combination. Right. So that one sector can die for a year or two. Exactly. You're right. ensuring yourself basically traffic, you yes. know, it's any season, uh, I, any I'm hour. I'm working for travelers of the world. Mm-hmm. 
whether they're from Europe or Japan mm-hmm. or whatever, or from the States or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, college commencement, all of these things, that's important to spread the word beyond our borders. Right, right. right. So that that is the concept. That's what's driving you today. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so, right. And your e-commerce shop on your website is quite robust too. I mean, how many different roasts and origins do you have on there? We're, uh, I think, origins probably about 20. Okay, okay. Um, You know, especially if you say, I mean, like Guatemala, we have three different origins. Yeah. The the area of Antigua, it's like Bordeaux and Burgundy. Rice, yes. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, and Antigua, right? Mm-hmm. And other zones as well, Patsun. So um, we're getting from the different areas and they have slightly different notes to them. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's a lot of fun. And then it's working with these different farmers. Uh, and uh, often these, uh, you know, the medium sized farmers, we're still not big enough to get all their coffee. And the question even is, should we? But in right. any case, um, you know, so it's working with these farmers who are often giving, being given different instructions by different buyers. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a that's a new trick, a new problem that I deal with, right? Yeah. Um, I I cannot tell you how many people in specialty somehow come up with an idea and then bless it as truth without testing the idea. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean. Uh, the maverick well, it's the maverick in them right it's strange <laughs> it's strange how the people don't 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 investigate their assumptions right 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 so george what advice would you give to um you know because you really i mean you're a legend in the coffee industry but you really created a you know you helped create your pioneer in the coffee in the cafe world here. What advice would you give to people starting out kind of forging businesses and growing businesses in, in new industries or, you know, even existing ones like differentiation also sounds like a very big theme that you have in your life. And for you, differentiation is always quality, right? Number one quality. Um, but that quality, again, is is not just in the coffee and the product that you're serving, but it's in the people that you're surrounding yourself with, too, in these, you know, in these different venues, the competition, 100%. the cafes. What so, you know, so what what would you share to, again, somebody growing a business? Uh, that's more difficult for me because I am not a business person. Yeah, <laughs> you still don't I think still you are. am not. Uh-huh. I rely on my COO for a lot of that. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would be talking more to visionaries. Yes. Yes. In the business. And first thing is you pick somebody who's working side by side with you, who really has an understanding of what's on the ground and real. Right. Yeah. End of story. Uh, and uh, it took me quite a few years to find that person. Right. That I now have. Right. That's been working with me now for well over a decade mm-hmm. uh, and allowed us then to now proceed forward and to build right. you know, on a yes. solid foundation. Right. Uh, but even that is difficult um, to do. Um, I do have my feet on the ground in terms of, you know, realizing 
I don't, uh, I do main, I do maintain being a realist and knowing what I can do and what I can't. Right. To the, you know, not perfect, but certainly it's saved my, my ass a number of times (laughs) as well. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, if you're a visionary, um, then the question is timing. Is the Mm -hmm. timing right? Mm -hmm. You know, many people will tell you location, location, location. Right. Period. Um, It having, uh, and again, and then now there is a new entity in town and that's called the web. (laughs) True. So true. Right. Um, So for me, it's, they're intertwined, very yes. intertwined. Yes, absolutely. Although there are companies certainly that are able to build purely on the internet very successfully. So, yeah. um, so I wouldn't say that can't be done in coffee. Right. Well, uh, mm-hmm. very possibly so. Um, but I would, uh, I would say that you really have to approach coffee in a or whatever product you're doing mm-hmm. in a different way. You mm-hmm. have to present it in a way that that strikes people, that captures their interest. We did that with the French press. Right. Right. And the roast date and so on. Um, just out of the need to educate. I mean, what has sustained our our success has been the absolute need to educate in a clear way and mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. in, in an accessible way. Right. Right. Um, I think that's, that's really critical. Uh, yeah. You know, the clear other point is that in this day and age, you certainly do need uh, a lot of funding to do it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, or a lot of patience while other things move very quickly around you. Right. The way we've approached it so far. So aside from um, expanding the George Howell cafes, what else is on your horizon? Uh, Being able to um, take the organization to another level, consolidate the whole thing. Uh, We have the cafes are separate LLCs. Mm -hmm. So consolidation um, and to really um be able to extract myself more from the day to day but maintain the vision part mm, right Clear, yeah right? yeah on top of that piece right um i think that is uh, that's essential yeah absolutely so um and the education piece i still you know i'm about to go to kenya in two weeks from now first time that i'm traveling since uh since covid okay Right. So yeah. I'll be in Kenya. I'll be resuming my trips to Guatemala and so on this year. Nice. Right. Uh, and um, that piece I want to maintain. Yeah. And that right. you'll be meeting with the farmers in both those countries? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Absolutely critical. And cupping the coffees. Um, right. Relating to them. You know, what can they do? Um, letting them know what I'm after. Right. Different than this other roaster is after. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So these are really, it's an interesting thing and it's only just happening. And it's a new challenge now with uh, the tightening of the economy the way it is. Yes. uh, Costs and so on. Uh, So this is leading a lot of uh, roasters towards more blends 
which you take it now, it's going back to anonymity. Right. Um, and it no longer, it's no longer a shared market. It's a buyer's market, mm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Which may sound great to all these roasters today, but uh, the golden goose won't mm-hmm. live forever. Right. So true. <laughs> There's always cycles, always cycles. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm very interested in trying to maintain the single origin. So we still only have one blend, uh, alchemy, right? Which we use for espresso, specifically the traditional espresso drink as mm-hmm. It was served in Italy, mm-hmm. so to say, right? Mm. And what I'm telling to my staff is when an Italian walks in, I want them to, when they taste that espresso, I want them to say, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's what that is for. And that's what goes with the milk drinks and so on really well. But we also right. sell that espressos that are, that are single origin. That may mm-hmm. be a little bit lighter roasted that somebody who's more traditional might not like as much. Right. So, brighter and so on. So I want both worlds happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So we do that one blend for that. Right. And the blend is always involving coffees with a very few exceptions, but blends are mainly aimed at less expensive coffees. Mm. So if I'm buying from a farm, I will buy their primary, their top of the line and sell it as a single origin. And the next down, which can still be quite good that's what's going into the blend. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Or excess coffees or whatever. That's what people do. Okay. It's right. just a yeah, a way to kind of monetize. Blending is not getting your best coffees. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a great point. Period. <laughs> right. So it's then it's tricky for people to find uh what what coffee they really like. They can try three of my coffees and they don't like them. It doesn't mean that the fourth isn't going to blow their minds right. because it's got a different flavor profile. Right. How do they find that? Well, we've been relying on specialty with three words, right? But it doesn't really connect to the word and the flavor coffee, which is an issue to my mind. So when I say strawberry, raspberry, and caramel. Right. Am I selling ice cream? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the question here. So we are now doing a visual, like kind of like pie charts or whatever that yes. will become more and more visible in the coming months uh, that add the flavor of coffee because you cannot replace the, the flavor coffee by any other word. Sure. Right. It just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And some coffees, especially those in Central America, traditional varieties, are really coffee coffees. They're 90% that coffee flavor. And what you're really after is you love that coffee flavor. You want it sweet. So that's where the quality comes in. Mm-hmm. Right? And then it might have a tint of orange notes to it, mm-hmm. citric mm-hmm. note or something else. But it's refined and it's in the background, right? Uh, but other ones could be these newer varieties like geisha that, that comes out of Ethiopia, uh, different processes that really make the coffee way more fruity and that almost become dominant. Mm. So we have some coffees that are like 50% this fruit flavor and that fruit flavor and the other 50% coffee flavor. What do you want? <laughs> right? It's all a matter of preference, right? That's, all that's, a matter. Yeah. That's the key here. So we so will be doing that on a big way uh, over the next several months. As you continue your education. Yeah, great. So again, it's communicating it Mm -hmm. and making it easier for people to make choices. Yes, yes. 
So George, I could talk to you about coffee all day, all day, but where is the best place for people to, you know, be able to purchase coffee from you and learn more about you? Well, either on the website, yeah, uh, which is George Howell coffee as, as you hear it.com uh, or, uh, you know, one of our three locations, the main one being uh, in downtown crossing on mm-hmm. five, 505 uh, Washington Avenue, Washington Street, mm-hmm. I should say, right um, there. It's right next to the Godfrey Hotel. Okay. And uh, they share their lobby with us as well. So oh, nice. lots of seating available yes. within our cafe, one environment, and in their co- hotel lobby, a completely different environment, right? So all kinds of seating for that uh, and all kinds of drinks. And we do it all, not just black coffee, although that's what we would prefer you to drink. <laughs> But we are doing mixology, of course. We have the original, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, and a whole lot of other drinks. All the all the great drinks that people associate with specialty coffee are there, right? Uh, and the coffee beans to buy as well. Okay. That's great. We'll put those um, the addresses in the show notes as well as the link to the website. Thank you so much, George. Oh, last thing. Yeah. Last thing. Please, people, when you buy coffee and you open that bag and you brew your first batch, the rest, seal it airtight uh, and put it in the freezer. I don't care how many videos you've heard, from specialty people about not freezing. The world champion barista and the U.S. barista won their positions by serving frozen coffee beans that were ground on the spot and brewed on the spot. Huh. Okay, it is the way to go. It gives you much more dimension. Coffee within 24 hours, whole bean will start to lose their dimension and then their flavor over the next several days. Okay, that's good. Well, I'm glad because I have my bags in the freezer. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, Please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.